Turn with me to Matthew 10. I just had the last meeting I will have uh, with the gentleman that you nominated in the spring for church offices, deacons. I'll remind you there were three men that you nominated. Uh, Luke Dinkeldine, Philip Chesser, and Dustin Thomas for the office of deacon and Alan Lay for the office of elder. We've been working through the summer and into the fall and we just had our last session. Uh, next step is for them to meet with committee of the session and then with the, with the full session and we'll, we'll do that this month. And then by, uh, as is our custom every two years, by December we'll have an opportunity for a congregational meeting. Uh, for the election of men for the office of elder and deacon. So be praying for those men as well as the others who were nominated, men who already serve in the offices, we're all nominated. And so uh, be, be in prayer for all of us. I was telling that group earlier today, though, that uh, as I was looking at uh, preaching on baptism, a Reformation recalibration as they took and they, they went back to the scriptures and said, no, wait a minute, it's been poorly defined, it's been redefined really, we need to get it back to what the Bible means by it and how it's to be practiced, how it fits in the worship service. We saw the priority of preaching over the sacrament, instructing the sacrament. I thought, well, you know, I'm going to have the next uh, couple of weeks to preach on those issues that I've been covering on Sunday nights. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to detour tonight too and touch on another Reformation theme from the book of Matthew. And that's on the doctrine of perseverance. And this is a good passage on that. So follow along and read with me in chapter 10 of Matthew, God's word. Let's hear God speak to us. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake. To bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, the father his child, children will rise against parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next, for truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. May the Lord bless the reading and hearing of his word for our good and his glory here tonight. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you so much for the many blessings of life. The Lord Jesus Christ being foremost 
the, your word that reveals to us who you are, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and what we're to believe and what we're to do. We thank you for your word. And tonight, as we hear this call to endure to the end with that great promise that we shall be saved, we pray that you would spur us on to greater love and greater works. In Jesus' name, amen. A number of reasons to revisit perseverance. In the new members class, uh, two Sundays ago, we looked at... Uh, the, the tulip, the five points as it's often called. And that last point, you, we, we, you know, we begin with man's condition, totally depraved. And we immediately back up to what's the hope for a totally depraved people? Well, it's, it's something in eternity. It's not something in time necessarily. And so it's that unconditional election of God that we know is before the foundation of the world according to the scripture. Well, good. But how is that, how is that effected? How is it procured? How was, what was the work for the elect? Well, it was in Christ, his, his atoning work for us. Okay, that's wonderful. But, but how, does it, how does it come from what Christ did to having an effect in us? Well, it's through the irresistible grace of God who applies it to us. All right, great. It's been accomplished. It's been applied. Now what? Persevere. Persevere, saints. Press on. Endure to the end. Um, some of you grew up with a variation of that theme. It was, it was something like this. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll go to heaven when you die. Once saved, always saved. And then when you started thinking about, well, yeah, but what do I do in between? In between this, this getting saved, which is bad theology, you can't get it. It's not something to be obtained. It has to be given to you. It's a gift. But in between this and going to heaven, what's that? Well, that's that period of our adoption in the family of God and our sanctification, our growing in grace. Part of our sanctification is good works and part of the good works Quote, equation is persevering, pressing on. We don't sit and then ascend. We're pressing on. We saw that in the Jeremiah passage. God's people being brought by God, but walking. And that's the message of perseverance. So we can address that issue with this passage. We can also address the issue of, of that's very common even in, in some reform circles where we've become almost antinomian and you talk to people, tell us about, and we do this, this is a question asked in our presbytery exams, tell us about the perseverance of the saints. And they tell us about the preserving work of the Holy Spirit. Well, the Spirit is preserving us, but that's not perseverance. If you look up our chapter in the, in the Westminster Confession on per Perseverance of the Saints, you'll see that we persevere because he preserves us. 
but perseverance is distinct from pres preservation. They're not only two different words, but they're two different things going on. One is the work of the Spirit in us, and the other is our work. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And those are not contradictions. I'll just use the language of Calvin. They're distinct, but they're inseparable. What the Spirit does in us and for us is distinct from what we do, but they're inseparable. We can't persevere unless he's preserving us. And if he's preserving us, we will persevere. They can't be divorced. You can't drive a wedge between them and be Christian. Another good reason to do perseverance is because it was, it was a, it was a, it was quite the note on the keyboard of the Reformation. Because as you know, one of the things that stirred Luther up was this idea that you could, you could buy an indulgence once and everything was all right. You could buy your way out of purgatory. You could buy your way out of purgatory for your friends and your family. this penance notion that Rome had. And he came to the conclusion, no, wait a minute. It's not a once for all. We have to be repenting always. Repentance is ongoing. It's, a, it's, a, it's an imperfect tense. It's something that's always going on in our lives. It's never finished. It's never complete. There's always reasons to repent. And there's always the need to repent. That was part of what sparked the Reformation was Luther's realization of that as much as Romans 1, 16 and 17 that by faith we've been saved. We live by faith. And while we're not Lutherans, we do owe a good deal to Martin Luther. I will, I will tell you something here. I, I, I realized in the midst of this, I told you this morning that it's been, I've had a opportunity several times this past week to talk about Monday being Reformation Day and looking forward to it and uh, then get to talk about from the Reformation to the gospel as if it's a Reformation of the gospel it's about the gospel and then in one case I, I just I kind of went into my academic mode and just threw Martin Luther's name out and all of a sudden I saw I knew what they heard Martin Luther King Jr. And then puzzlement came on the face. So I had to, I had to explain. No, I'm talking about Martin Luther. Just stop right there. 17th, 16th century, reformer, Germany. Okay. Then I realized no comprende. But that was okay. Then I got to talk about Martin Luther. And some of his emphases. I didn't go to perseverance. I just stuck with basic sola fide. Grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. It's amazing what you get to talk about. You know, Luther, many emphases. The priesthood of believers over the clerical priesthood. Uh, some of his sayings, you know, when he's there being, being queried 
concerning his beliefs and called upon to recant. And he comes back, it's neither safe nor right to go against conscience. And by that, he meant a conscience informed by the scriptures. By the way, it's often safe to go against conscience if your conscience are not informed by the Bible. Because our conscience can be informed by a lot of different things. If it's not the scriptures, we need to be careful. Justification, of course, one that we think of often. But then there's what I mentioned this morning I alluded to, the symbol Eustace at Pector. The, we are at once, in Christ, we are, we are a sinner and a saint. We are justified and we sin. And that doesn't intend on Luther's part or any of the reformers to reflect a schizophrenia or any kind of, any kind of problem in our being that we're torn this way and that way or what was popular back in the, in the carnal Christian discussions of some circles. You know, you've got the, you got the hungry dog and the, and the, the, the full dog or you've got the, 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 the bad angel and the good angel sitting here and tearing you apart wanting to live for the world over here and live for Christ, that's not what Luther was talking about. He was saying we are saints and knowing that we are saints and knowing too that we are sinners, we have to press on. We're going to press on in our sainthood. We're not going to succumb to the sin that's so pervasive. And so that brings us to this text with a little introduction. Very simple. Notice the call to persevere presumes difficulty. The call to persevere presumes difficulty. It starts out, behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in midst of wolves. It doesn't say, I'm sending you out as sheep into this beautiful pasture. The grass is perfect. The quiet water's ideal. Sweet water. None of that sulfur stuff. None of that iron stuff. Some of you all know what I'm talking about. You get in some parts of Florida, the low country of South Carolina, Georgia, other places, even in this region. You can dr- drill a well back in the well days. Even some folks with wells still have problems. They have to put filters on these or else you'll have, you'll have filthy, dirtier clothes when they come out of the washer than when they went in the washer. None of that for these lambs. You know, Jesus' little lambs, they get the perfect water over here. Nice and quiet, babbling brook. And wolves. We don't have wolves in this country. Not in the church, not in the Christian world. No wolves. Well, that's not what Jesus said. He says, behold. What does that mean, children? It means sit up, pay attention. Right? Can't slouch on this one. This is serious. This is urgent. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Notice first, I'm sending you out. You don't get to sit around. You don't get to stay inside the building. You got to go out. As much as we enjoyed the picnic yesterday, we had to go home. As much as we enjoy meeting and gathering and worshiping morning and evening, we go home. And as we go... We have to be aware that we're in the midst of wolves. So the call to persevere presumes danger. That's the nature of life. It's it's a life of danger. 
The setting is one of danger. It's the world. In Matthew 10, 22, if you look down there, he says, he says, uh, the one who, in, uh, but you will be hated by all for my name's sake. And then that preceding verse, that's a tough one, isn't it? Elsewhere, Jesus says that in the Christian life, it's going to turn father against child, husband against wife. But here, it's even worse, isn't it? It's not just going to be about, no, we don't do Thanksgiving together. You know, because they live this lifestyle, we live this lifestyle, we don't get to do that. It's not that, it's not that kind of simplicity. Here, they're going at one another's throats. They're taking legal action against them. You're a Christian. You're against my way of living. I'm going after you. That's hate speech. I'm going to bring charges against you. Did you read it? Did you hear me? Brother will deliver brother over to death. The father, his child, children will rise against parents and have them put to death. You'll be hated by all for my name's sake. That's the situation that he's painting for us. That's the kind of life that we could live in. And some of you may be. And if not now, many of us may in the future. That's the context. That's what we're told that we have to live with. Just think about it. We've been seeing this on previous Sunday nights. We talked about the world, the flesh, and the devil. Well, that ties in here. But it's not just the wolves out there, but it's the wolf within, isn't it? We have to deal with ourselves, too. We can be our own worst enemy sometimes when it comes to this sin thing. And so we need to sit up and pay attention. And if we find ourselves in sin, then we have to repent. God would have us persevere as saints with full knowledge that this is not going to be a nice little tiptoe through the garden. I don't know if any of you garden. I bring this up occasionally because God talks about gardening a lot. That's where it began, right? In a garden. I hear people talk about, you know, oh, it's just a tiptoe through the garden. Well, I never get to tiptoe through my garden. I always see weeds. I always have to spray something. I always have to dig something. I always have to pull something. I have to trim something. That's the way the Christian life is. We're going to get to John chapter 15 in the John series very shortly. And we're going to read those first verses about the necessity of pruning and trimming and lopping. That's the Christian life. That's what Jesus says. And remember, he's bringing them to the point of, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. But this is the context in which we're going to have to persevere. The context in which we must endure.
is a world full of sin. The mit, we'll be there in the midst of wolves. And by the way, we're sheep. We're sheep. I won't dwell on this. Just suffice it to say sheep are defenseless and sheep are stupid. And that's the word God chose to describe his people. That we can be stupid and we can be without defense if we're not really careful. And he says that's the condition that we live in. And then the next thing, we're to beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts, flog you. You'll be dragged before governors. All sorts of stuff can go on. And by the way, we read about this, don't we? It's going on in the Sudan right now, again. If it ever stopped, don't think it did. It goes on in China constantly. It goes on in Islamic countries always. Christians dragged into the courts. How often I get emails from my dear friend in Italy and somebody again has done something to their little church building where they're trying to worship and they find that it was the Roman Catholic priest who instigated the police to do this this travesty against them because they're Protestants, because they believe in Christ Jesus and they're not teaching a works-based religion. It goes on everywhere. We're kind, of, we're kind of soft here. It might be a good time for us to kind of start at least preparing ourselves. What, what do we, you know, in, in athletics sometimes you talk about psyching yourself up. You know, get ready for the game. Get ready for the battle. You know, sometimes you see a live concert after the fact and they show the musicians in the background getting ready to go on stage and you know, they're, they're getting ready. You know, they're pumping themselves up. Maybe, maybe a passage like this is as much for us as it is for people in China and the Sudan. Or even Canada, where some things are taking place. Where the church is under assault. Canada, really? I mean, that's just, that's just a few hours drive. Maybe we need to read a passage like this and say, you know what? I don't know if you do this or not. Folks, I'm going to tell you. There are a few, few things in this world that scare me. And I say this with, with, with deference and with great reservation We've had some dear saints in this church who have been stricken with Alzheimer's. We prayed and we loved sweet Diane and Jan Grenier as they suffered with this and Bill and Doc as they suffered with their loved ones. Do you ever ponder? You know, if, if, if that were to happen to me, would, I, would my tongue be tame or would I embarrass my family with some of the things that come out of my mouth? 
would I be, would I be mean? Thankfully, in both those cases, we didn't see that. But some people have seen that in their aged, Alzheimer-stricken family members. Where all of a sudden they're mean. Would I be that kind of person? I want to tell you. You know why I think Diane and Jan didn't have trashy mouths and weren't mean? It's because they had beheld They lived a life of perseverance, taming their tongues and taming their thoughts, persevering in the faith. This is a call to us. What if these hard kind of times come upon us? We're being dragged into courts. Are we prepared for it? We should be prepared. And the Lord's warning us here to be prepared. Now I'm to the second point, verses 19 and 20, the control or the power to persevere presumed success. Did you notice that? When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you're to speak or what you're to say. When you as sheep are thrown into a bunch of wolves and they're running all around you and they're ravaging you. Here, don't be anxious. Don't worry. Don't be concerned. I'm going to tell you what to say. I'm going to give you the right words. Now, I'm going to tell you, some of you know people, perhaps, I do, there are certain, there's a certain uh, religious um, movement that uses that verse wildly out of context. Don't be anxious for what you're to speak and what you're to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. And they're ministers of the gospel, and they don't prepare during the week because that'd be, that'd be unfaithful to God, disobeying God. He says, don't worry about what you're going to say. I'll tell you what to say when you stand up there. And that is not, the, I mean, you just read it. That's not the context. It's not about preaching the gospel It's about living life and being put into hard situations and being thrown in the spot in a situation where you need to speak. You need to defend yourself. You need to give a reason for the hope that's in you. And the Lord says, hey, don't sit around fretting about this. Be prepared for it, but don't fret about it. Elsewhere in Matthew, Jesus says to be anxious, to worry is sin. So he's saying here, don't sin, don't fret about it. This is coming. You don't know when it's coming. You don't know what degree it's coming, this kind of persecution, how bad the wolves are going to be, how many they're going to be. You just press on and I'll provide for you. That's how we're supposed to live. But did you notice there's a presumption here of success? God's going to meet our needs. Whatever the need is, and we, we won't know. That's the thing. You ever tried to do this? You ever tried to prepare for something and you get there and you didn't prepare for that? As many of you know, my son Kaz just went through a whole, several series of interviews for jobs and he's settled now in Raleigh. 
And I can't tell you how many times he, he said, yeah, I'm just preparing for this interview, for this stage in the interview process, for this one. I'm thinking, you know, I've looked up these men, these women who are on the committee and look at their expertise. I'm preparing and going to da, da, da. And then he'd say, you know, they didn't ask me any of that. I was prepared and nothing they asked is what I prepared for. I'm sure you found yourself there. And the Lord says, you know, and this is not a treatise against preparation. It's just a reminder that sometimes we can't anticipate what's going to happen. But God has. And he's going to take care of us. That's part of the persevering process. Is not only being prepared like wise and innocent, but being dependent. Relying on God. I'm going to do my best, and I know at the end God's going to help me. He's going to take care of this. Our provision is supernatural, surpasses human comprehension. That's what verse 20 should teach us. God's provisions for us surpasses the human ability. Let me read a few passages for you that speak to this. John 16, 5. But now I'm going to him who sent me, Jesus says. None of you ask me, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, grief has filled your heart. But I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I'm leaving. For if I do not leave, the comforter will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Christ has ascended. The comforter is here. He's our right hand. And our left hand. And our rear guard and the scout out in front of us, by the way. He's all of that. Here's another passage. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them. But greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. 1 John 4, 4. Some of you have memorized that verse. Then jump over to chapter 5, verse 4. For everything that has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that's overcome the world, our faith. And then one last. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who is at work in you, both to be willing and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without complaining or arguments so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Work out your salvation, for it's he who's at work in you to be willing and to do his good pleasure. Isn't that marvelous? We're thrown into this this lion's den, as it were, into this fiery furnace, And God says, don't worry. What are the three young men when they were facing the fiery furnace? They said to to the king, hey, if you throw us in there, our God can deliver us. But even if he does not, we will not bow the knee to you. We don't know how God's going to deliver us out of any given situation. We may get to walk out scot-free, as they say, and we may have to pay the penalty according to the law of the land for obeying God rather than men. But if so, that's our deliverance. 
That's how God chooses. Third, notice the process of perseverance, how it ends in success. Did you see that? The one who endures to the end will be saved. You say, that's it? That's all I got? Yeah. That's all we have. And that should be enough. We'll be delivered. We'll be saved. From the Egyptians, the children were delivered. From the Assyrians, the children were delivered. From the Babylonians, they were delivered. And some of them through hard paths, diverse paths. What's going to mark our way? Well, back up to the beginning. Be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Let me just read you an example of being innocent as doves. This is from Peter. 1 Peter 3 says, give a reason for the hope that's in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. That's living a life that's innocent as a dove. We give the reason that that God has given us, the hope that's in us. We do it with gentleness and meekness. And then if they lie about us, well, that's our answer. They'll be put to shame in the end. We'll be exonerated by the king of heaven. How about, how about, how about as, as wise as, as serpents? I'll give you a couple of historical examples there. Luther. He leaves the Inquisition and he's taken into hiding. And there he produces the New Testament Greek into German for his people to read. He was hiding. Well, coward? No. He was as wise as a serpent. Cyprian, AD 225, first round of persecutions came through Carthage, and he left town so that he could be good and useful for the church that was undergoing persecution. He deemed it wisest to be alive to serve the most people. Next time persecution came through, he couldn't do that, and he faced the fire. Now, I'll tell you what's not being wise as serpents. During this same period, after or later, when Constantine comes on the throne and Christianity is now legalized, it's not, the, it's not the religion of the land, but it's legalized, there's no more persecution at large. And because Christians had become so proud of their being persecuted, they would find soldiers marching through their town, not there to hunt down Christians, but they would go throw themselves in their way to be persecuted by them. That's dumb. You're not being persecuted for Christ's sake in that situation. You're being persecuted because you're obnoxious. 
you're being rightly dealt with because you're an you're a impediment to the work of the state. Wise as serpents, innocent as doves. That's how we persevere. These ways are how we persevere. Listen, this is not going to be hard, or this is not going to be easy. This process is a hard one. We're to press on. We're to press on. We're to press on. I was just reminded again of Rosaria Butterfield's words about her conversion and living the Christian life, and she, she likened it to a train wreck. Anybody ever feel like your life is a train wreck? You know, you're just running head on into the world. You're being derailed here by this, this worldly influence derailed here. And she goes on after she says it's like a train wreck. She says, I know of only one word to describe this time-released encounter. Get the time-released nature of the encounter. It's ongoing. It's just dribbling out. That's what perseverance is, enduring. We just, little by little, we keep pushing on. And she says, here's the word, it's impact. That's what perseverance is about. It's not going to be an easy, peasy life. It's going to be full of impact. We don't use impact rightly much anymore. It's taken on some weird 25th definition. But it has to do with confrontation. Slamming into things. People who've used tools know what an impact driver is. It influences all right, but it influences by driving. And that's the way we endure. That's the way we persevere to the end. And notice the good news. We'll be saved. Is it because we persevered? No. But you won't be saved unless you persevere. Because the perseverance is evidence that you really do believe. You really do have faith. That your faith is genuine and from God. Persevere to the end. Jesus says it again over in chapter 24, verse 13. Those who endure to the end shall be saved. So let me ask you a question. Are you persevering? Or are you just least path of resistance? No impact. You know, whatever's easiest. Sunday morning's easiest for me. I'll do something else Sunday evening. Sunday evening's easiest for me. I'll do something else Sunday Wednesday night, no, it's kind of hard to get through the traffic. No, not going to say anything. Let them believe what they want to believe. Go to hell if they want to. Least path of resistance, or is it a life of persevering? Impact. Confrontation with the world. Recognizing that's where we live. We live among the wolves. We have to be smart. We have to be innocent. Perseverance of the saints always ends with deliverance. That's part of our persevering hope is that we'll be delivered. Father, thank you. We ask now that you would give us 
this kind of life, that we would press on, push on, that we'd be walking on in the power of your spirit. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.